episode of the Starbase Indie Podcast you're about to hear was recorded live at Starbase Indie 2022. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome. I, I forgot the name of this panel. What is this panel about? It's a, I feel like there's a lot of titles to it. Infinite diversity in infinite combinations. Yeah, you did. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> he transmitted those words to me. Yeah. Someone else transmitted the other words. And then I think um, the the subtitle is or not the or the sub yeah subtitle whatever. Um, conversation about how queerness affects creative careers. I don't think it has to be limited to that, but that's part of what the agenda. <laughs> The agenda. <laughs> I can squeeze you into my agenda. Yeah. <laughs> Is it a gay one? <laughs> I'm in. I'm with him. Yeah. That's that's an Elvira loft. I didn't, mm. didn't write. Yeah. <laughs> who, who somewhat recently came out. Yeah. Which is awesome. Well done. Yeah. Good job. And we're done. They <laughs> so I, I suppose. Combination. Yeah. <laughs> How's your queer if you're here? It's trier, yeah. <laughs> that's a hard slam. <laughs> but yes, that seems to be the general premise. But I'm, I, I will follow you wherever, Moxie. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, most men. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. That's even does. Uh, if your friend stepped off a cliff, would you? Yeah, jump off a cliff. Well, no. <laughs> yeah, you know. And what's and at the bottom? bottom? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> infinite diversity in infinite com- combination. That's the Eidic philosophy of Star Trek. Uh, and, um, well, you know, one of the interesting things to me with the whole Star Trek theme is uh, with Star Trek and that idea of infinite diversity, I I sort of came to this character of Moxie uh, through that, in a sense. Um, I I started doing just a random Star Trek character at conventions. Uh, I dressed up with my friend Chico and my friend Celeste, and we were like, okay, let's go to Dragon Con. No, yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. And uh, we went to Dragon Con, and we were three Star Trek babes, you know, red, blue, and gold. Were you blue? I was always blue. <laughs> blue is my... <laughs> it is a good color on you. And um, and people would come up and say, oh, it's it's Nurse Chapel. Oh, it's Jan yeah. Rand. And I'd be like, no, I'm just some random space. <laughs> so I created the character mm. to kind of counteract people. It's like, oh, you're, yeah. you're Jan's Rand or yeah. Chapel. And it just all grew out of that. Mm-hmm. And so I became Moxie Magnus, the chief cosmetologist. There you go. started performing. I started doing conventions. And this was 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Did you try on other professions before you went cosmetologist? Or did you just go? No, I just went straight to cosmetologist. Because <laughs> it was like, well, who is this character? <laughs> yes. It's the Rand hair, but it's bigger. So right. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> does it. <laughs> yeah. Hair. So since mine was bigger and taller, yeah. I've obviously the one of the ship. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, a replicator can't. No. So certainly this was me, and there's obviously a salon mm-hmm. somewhere. Everybody gets blowouts, right? Yes. Yeah. 
I'm curious too, because you're saying, you know, that this came out of your already knowledge and love of Trek. I, I'm curious about like your the furthest part of your origin story of how um, Trek came into your life uh, before. Um, well, you know, when I was younger, I always liked Trek, mm-hmm. but I had a friend uh, that was actually my sister's age. My sister's four years older than me. It was a Trek fanatic. And her sister was my best friend at school. And so through her, uh, I we would go see Trek movies. Uh, we I remember going to see uh, Star Trek. Star Trek 3, I guess. Mm-hmm. We went to see the first day it came to theaters. And um, I just got more into it yeah. from there. And so it was always kind of on my radar. And I always liked Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And um, just kind of grew from there. Mm-hmm. Are there any other fandoms that rival your love of Star Trek? Probably my top number one fandom is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right, great. Always good. I just finished rewatching Buffy the Vampire Slayer with my husband. We've just done a big Buffy rewatch. Oh, fine. like two weeks ago. I've got him up through the the fourth season of Angel, and we had to stop because you're not quite ready to do the last season yet of Angel. <laughs> uh, my husband is just not into any of it. No, that's why he's not here with us. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. We, we have a comic that's called... Oh. Tales from Salon Bay. Which, oh my God, I love it. For a number of years, it's going up on Instagram. I don't know if anybody remembers our comic. Yeah. And it disappeared for a long time, and we're bringing it back. We're reviving it. An Instagram. That's so great. That's, yeah, so smart. Or when you say we, is this you and your husband? Yeah. So he does like. So I do yeah. like. Yeah, no. <laughs> he likes. No, but he likes the comic. Yeah, yeah. My, my husband, uh, Works at Savannah College of Art and Design. Right. And he teaches animation. Oh, cool. So, yeah. And it's so, art right here on the... on. The- yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it is. Look at that. My hair. And a martini. Martini. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so enough about me. <laughs> we'll get back more to you. We'll, we'll round robin it. Uh, 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 yeah. So, tell me about you, lady. Well, you know, what's striking me... Is there's there's so many different ways to talk about our relationship with Star Trek, but I one part of the story I love no, to tell with us getting together. The yeah, that I love about oh yes, that you came out to the world on the red. I certainly did. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, it is it is funny. Star Trek has been uh, no surprise uh, a part of my career journey, um, and starting with being with Anthony and Wilson on panels as they spoke to being the first, you know. Um, gay characters um, on screen officially in Trek. Obviously, as we all know, which I'm sure will be part of our conversation, there has sci-fi and fantasy and genre has always been a way in which uh, queerness can manifest itself the way we can see each other on on screen. Um, and uh, all the queer coding within so many of the shows. Uh, but again, Anthony and Wilson... Uh, speaking to their experience of being both openly gay actors who had been, you know, kind of iconically for both of them throughout their careers. Um, and that was before I was fully certain of yeah. how gay I was. <laughs> now I'm very certain. <laughs> I love this sort of your discovery. I was watching an interview where uh, the interviewer was saying, you know, before I had spoken to you about yeah. this and you were like, you know, no, I'm a straight. Well, yeah. And... 
now you've recently come out. Yeah. Well, what's funny too. Part of my. <laughs> that's where Manny comes in. <laughs> but I think that's part of the beauty of infinite diversity mm-hmm. is that we do grow and we yeah. do sort of come to realizations. We do come to flower. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. 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 And so we, we are on our own journeys and it's not the, it's not that we're necessarily one thing or another. Mm-hmm. We are being in mm-hmm. becoming. Yes. Absolutely. And so it's something fresh and new to ourselves. And so I think a lot of times we take this as you're either you're either this or you're that. You're either A or you're B. Yeah. But in reality, it's not that clear. I mean, and so it it's a development. It's a progression. It's a something different. And I think yeah. that's something that's beautiful about your story is it's not. It's not just, it's an awakening. Mm-hmm. It's a, a slow progression of you sort of seeing that. Yeah. That makes sense. Absolutely. And it's funny because there's a, and yeah. you're very honest about it. You're very yeah. nice, sort of, it's not just a, oh, well, I've always been this way. And I'm, yeah. Telling. Yeah. <laughs> what we talk about the idea of like coming out of the closet was never uh, a term that quite resonated with either of us for different ways because Maddie often describes it as being on a boat. Well, what, I mean, I wrote a thing and I'm a, I'm a writer and Mary's partner, by the way. <laughs> no, that's a little thing up there. Um, I am Mary's partner and I'm a writer and an actor and our film will be screened tonight and tomorrow. And um, anyway, so my journey is very similar to Mary's and I wrote a, a thing and in it, one of the characters, I grew up in Texas, so she's Texan. And she's like, I don't come out of no closet. I'm on a map. And uh, I'm on a boat, and I don't have a map. And I'm, there's no steering wheel of the boat. And you got your steering wheel and your map, and you're riding all by. And you're saying, oh, this is the way you need to go. And so she just gets so mad at her brother, who is queer from moment one. Queer or third. Very certain, yeah. Which I think there are folks who know instantly, but a lot who were just on a boat yeah. in the ocean with no map and no steering wheel and there's like a breeze every once in a while but there's no sails so yeah so it, and it just feels very drifty and then sometimes it can feel very like drowny sinking uh and then sometimes it's like an awesome wave and you ride it so that's yeah. definitely how we both felt until someone or some moment comes along and you go oh Here's my map, or uh, or here's my steering wheel. Yeah, do boats have steering wheels? Or or well, what would we call it? The now, big round. Here's my helm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. But yeah, I think yeah, in the sense of yeah, it being infinite. Uh, I, I you know, and in I like the term you know everything being on a on a spectrum, and the more that we move past the binaries that we've set up in our society, um, the better. Which is, again, comes back to, I think, a lot of our, you know, genre storytelling. So many of these sci-fi worlds reflect on that. Obviously, you know, we're talking about Trek, but also obviously Star Wars has a lot of binaries set up, um, which tying into, I always end up talking about Kylo Ren. It just has to happen. But, you know, in the sense of like, that was a character that ended up really resonating with me because I think he lives in the gray. And because he has some darkness in him, assumes that he must be, you know, bad because of the very binary Star Wars world. And so the journey of coming into oneself, I realized more and more that that character was helping me on my career journey 
um, before I even realized it because there was something about his frustration and anger and we're both Scorpios also. There's like, that's his Adam Driver actually. Uh, so, but there was like that, that, that rage inside when you haven't fully found who you are. And in my case, like I, I felt, you know, I grew up in LA surrounded by a lot of queer acceptance. It wasn't something that I associated with bad. In fact, a fun tie-in with Wilson Cruz is that we, I, he and I were at my first gay wedding I ever went to. Um, Todd Holland and uh, Scott Jealous Loring, who are great artists as well. And um, so that was like eight. And again, very, like my mom always said when she told me, yes, Scotch and, and Todd are going to get married. And I was like, great, which one's going to wear the dress? And she was like, I don't know if either will, but if one of them does, that's great too. You know, like, <laughs> and uh, so I was like, great, cool. Like that was my, that was all I, that was my introduction to um, gay marriage. And I believe that was before it was even legal um but they wanted to have a ceremony and they and they did and of course have since um certified it in whatever way um but what's been interesting for me to reflect on as you probably saw in that interview too is that like i wasn't yeah the being on the boat feeling of not just not being sure also being you know the term that i gravitate towards is like 20 million syllables of panromantic demisexual um, but to me, what that means is I have a deep love for humans and people and souls. And when I connect with someone, there is a romantic quality to how I interact with them. And certain people, my friends have always been like few and far between. I can be generally friendly with a lot of people, but then I have deep soul connections with people. And I would say across the board, there's probably something romantic within each of those deep relationships. But there's this other stuff sexual element that never quite sparked in me in the way that I think often because of the way our society um, is structured and how we often, you know, associate sexual attraction with orientation. Uh, It was very hard for me to place or find where I fell within this spectrum because it wasn't the thing that I was I was feeling like all googly eyes, you know, over certain people. Certain people. <laughs> um, but it is interesting. And, you know, our Maddie and our relationship, we've known each other since 2018, which is part of the Star Trek tie in is I met Maddie because of an improvised Star Trek show <laughs> in L.A. Uh, her roommate at the time, Elisa Pearl, um, was part of this improvised generation TNG inspired uh, hour long improvised show, uh, serialized show. And we had met at the Star Trek Discovery season one premiere and she invited me to come see it. And then there was a show right after that of Ripley Improv, which is an all-female improv group that Maddie had started, also part of this improv theater. And um, they had a really fun show, Glam, in the style of Glow, but with arm matches. So everyone's in sparkly unitards and it was great. Uh, (laughs) uh, But just such a really awesome group of people. And I just started coming to the shows and ended up taking classes at the school that Maddie was actually my teacher multiple times <laughs> and continues to teach me many things. Um, but uh, I, we became, you know, collaborators and peers. And um, then it was over the pandemic that uh, we really got to know each other on a deeper level through Zoom. You know, it's so funny. But I think we're both very, you know, um, 
hardworking, determined people. And we fill our schedules a lot with a lot of things. And I, even though we were still producing an improv show together, doing self-tapes together over Zoom, we were working a lot. We would then have, you know, a three-hour conversation on Zoom afterwards. And once we could pod together, I was over at her place all the time. And we just found our... we we. We, I keep talking about vibrations at this convention, but we were on a similar frequency, both in who we are as artists and people, but then also in understanding our queerness. And I think the intimacy of kind of really having these deep conversations about gender, gender expression, orientation, it's so bonding. And then also really scary to go, well, this is my best friend who I talk about all this stuff with. I don't want to mess that up. And we both like, kind of dated other women and then then the rest is history (laughs) but um but it's still you know it took us a while to have our kiss anniversary as we like to call it because um i think we really valued what we have together um and there is that boundary that fear of once i cross this line with this person it changes the atoms of the relationship and i don't know if that's going to be good or not Thankfully, in this case. <laughs> and uh, yeah, one of my favorite moments in our courtship was Ariel popped her laptop open. And I'm a snoop, so I just look over her shoulder. I'm not really a snoop, but I said, <laughs> I had her photos up. She's also an open book, so that wasn't hard. She had her photos up. And we and I, I just looked at like the oldest one. I was like, oh, what's that? And we went through all of her iPhoto photos. And so I just got to learn her life history through photos which was really interesting and then then, and then i turned it around and did it to you and i popped my laptop open yeah that was a really fun way to get to know somebody is through these images of snapshot images of their life Mm -hmm. and yeah we and we've been doing that even you know because obviously iphone will like show you these are a random assortment of photos from your cat like really yeah here i'm about that yeah yeah but it is it is fun i think we really do enjoy looking at you know, past iterations of ourselves that were valid and good in the moment. And, you know, even if they weren't, you know, that we were still trying to find ourselves, I think we have a lot of love and empathy for our past selves. And, you know, I always say, oh, I love little Maddie, like just seeing, you know, college photos of Maddie or whatever it may be, you know, you see the person that you love in whatever phase they're in. And, you know, it's exciting too to know that we are at one point in our relationship and that it's just going to keep expanding too. Um, that, you know, it's so great to be on this journey together. And I think that that's just a, a huge, amazing gift. And I think obviously this is a convention so based in a uh, found family and, you know, that it is on Thanksgiving weekend and like the significance of that and that it's a group of people that want to get together and be thankful for each other. So I was really grateful too, because I, I was here in 2019. Um, and oh, and I will say too, because yeah, in that interview, I, I think what I find interesting in my coming out journey is that I would say that it's it, in the past, maybe like five or six years, it was becoming apparent to me that I was saying more, well, I knew I'll find the right person. Like I was definitely expanding my vocabulary in who I was seeking out or who I hoped to end up with. Um, still because I think heteronormativity is a very strong, (laughs) strong thing and we're so surrounded by it. And again, why representation is so important because if you don't see it, it's harder to recognize it. Um, I think it was easier for me to gravitate towards what 
was, you know, societally set up. Uh, And so when someone would ask me, it would kind of be like, oh, yeah, I support like I would error of omission. And and it, you know, took the next level of empowerment. And and in our case, it really was (laughs) helpful to be able to point to this person and go, yeah, this is the person I love. Um, And what's funny, too, about the Star Trek Day coming out is we actually the Star Trek Las Vegas that year, which was a month or so prior to Star Trek Day, was a big impetus to us getting together. That's what got us to finally be like, because I had invited Maddie and my uh, best friend, Justin, to come and stay with me at the hotel. I was like, yeah, it'll be fun. And, you know, Vegas and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, we've been planning it for like a freaking out. And yeah, planning it out for a long time. And yeah. Um, I was so excited for like Maddie to be there. And this was during the point where like poor Justin was our butt. Yeah, yeah. Justin, who is not interested in ladies. But it's also me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh and then he had to be stuck in the room with two lesbians. <laughs> like little did he know. Um, but it was really funny, um, because it was re- you know, building up to that. And it was the week before we went off to Vegas that um uh, we like we made it clear to each other that we liked each other because I knew like what happens in Vegas. Things, Vegas like it wasn't like, all these things. I was like, no, that's not what I wanted to be. I was already thinking about like <laughs> kissing Maddie in Vegas, but I wanted to be sure that like we had already kissed before we went to Vegas. Uh, and so we made sure that happened. But um, it is funny that Trek continued to have like this kind of um spurring on of my queer journey. So we, uh, but to the point. We had felt very out and open and Vegas. I would tell everyone who walked by, yeah, this is my girlfriend, Maddie. Uh, <laughs> have you met? Um, and, you know, spoke to it on one of my panels. Um, but I think it kind of just missed, like people just didn't quite hear it or whatever it was. It didn't like hit the presses. So then I'm there on Star, Star Trek Day, just continue. It is a month or so later and, you know, all this stuff. <laughs> and uh, and then I'm on the carpet with, with Wilson and Ian and Blue. On the what's also funny was the live um, <laughs> thing, which I knew was live, so it wasn't like I thought it would be edited, but I didn't realize how live it was. Like the fact that they were at the Scrooball Center, Maddie's out there in the audience, and literally it's just projected on this giant screen for literally everyone who's there at Star Trek Day, uh, and then everyone watching online on Paramount Plus. Since no, since yeah, known you so long. If you go back and you can yeah. see it, if you go back and watch it. You say, and being a queer woman or something. Yeah. And Wilson is like, <laughs> and then, smile and he yeah. blows. He's so happy. I, I yeah. love that. And he really like cemented it being a, a more of a coming out because we had yeah. like, we had FaceTimed with him like a week or so before that. And like, so he was aware, but he, he just didn't know how public I was being. Uh, and obviously I was speaking to because I'm there with Wilson and Ian and Blue and I'm being like, it's so great. They're on the show. And, uh, and uh, so that he, he, he just made it made it a moment, which I am very grateful for because it doesn't have to be that. And we had kind of had the the cold, the nut, nut and the slow burn or cold open, soft open. That's what they say yeah. uh, <laughs> the month prior. But it did. You know, it was, again, continued to be this interesting significance with Trek and understanding my queerness. And then this past year. Then I was in the position of doing the interviews live, which was very fun. Yeah. So I, I yeah, Trek just keeps coming back. <laughs> well, it's so interesting with Trek because I think that Trek has really taken a stand 
and has presented, you know, uh, it's presented sort of, they've had non-binary mm-hmm. actors and trans actors and uh, they've had gay couple male. Uh, they've had women in positions that women yep. weren't in mm-hmm. before. They've had uh, uh, black actors in positions mm-hmm. that they weren't in before. Uh, and one of the interesting things to me is the people who are coming out and saying, Star Trek is too what? Yeah. <laughs> what happened to Star Trek? <laughs> did Star Trek become so woke? And it's like, have you? Yeah. <laughs> Star Trek? Yeah. It really is. It is. Yeah. And I think a, a further anecdote that I love was there was someone who literally like tweeted with Discovery because by the time season three came around, Doug Jones is the only cis white straight male on the show and he's an alien. And they were like, how am I supposed to watch this show if I can't see myself? And everyone was like, welcome to the party. Like... That's the, that's what we're talking about. We've had to project ourselves and, you know, so I did think it was great. Like, and, and, you know, it wasn't even like they overly purposefully did that. It was just innate in the characters that exist um, yeah. on the show. And it, yeah, I just find it very, very funny that, you know, and it is an interesting thing. Furthering that thought is because it's always been this progressive thing but has with each generation has become more fully what it could be uh i think we're in this interesting time of like what does that representation mean what does it mean to have a non-binary character or a trans character in track what type of characters are they playing and i think with any moment like this where representation is so key in front and behind the camera on and off screen as an actor you know where are the conversations on screen like what what where can those parallels live in the characters and where can those parallels just be seen off screen? And something I appreciated with Wilson and Anthony is like a huge premise of their characters was, you know, normalizing it in a sense of like, it wasn't something that everyone was talking about in the show, but on panels, they were able to speak so beautifully about, you know, the honor that they had to be this representation and obviously from their life experiences speak to, larger issues at hand and i think that's often what trek can offer is the actors and the producers and the writers get to speak off camera off you know the show to what this larger question is because trek is hopefully this you know utopian world i think that's when it's the most successful is when you just see uhura on the bridge yeah and it's nobody says well she's the first yeah 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 (laughs) african-american who's here yeah, who's blah blah blah? It's nice is there. Yeah, because in the future, that's it's yeah, hard. yeah. Or you know, when you see a gay couple who's just yeah, brushing their teeth. Yeah, nobody cares. Yes, yeah. And it's when it's just normalized. I think that that's what when it's the most successful to mm-hmm. be. I think it's just it's just very. Mm-hmm. I think because too the coming out stories. I can't remember who said this. Not me, but I'll say it again. <laughs> the coming out stories will always be true until coming out doesn't have to be true. And so that's great. That'll happen somewhere. But Trek has always been about, no, this is normal. Get used to it. Yeah. This is the future. Yeah. Join it or or don't. Yeah. 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 yeah you know, when I 
came out. I I came out here in 1986. Oh, which um was um at that time. Anybody here? The old. <laughs> yes. You know when yeah. when I was a kid, there were very few gay characters. Yeah, on television. I mean, there was very little representation. And you were in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, I I was in Dexter, Georgia, is where I grew up. Dexter, Georgia, is a town of about three hundred and fifty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't even live in town. We've yeah in between Dexter and Gap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up on a cattle farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, the people who were gay on television, there was Jack Tripper, you know, from Three's Company. Who wasn't really gay. Right. And um, there was Billy Crystal on Soap. We um, went <laughs> And then on Dynasty, there was Steven, who wasn't really gay. <laughs> so, so you had all of these characters who were sort of gay and not gay. Mm-hmm. And very often, you know, it was all of the left wrist kind of swish, swishy. And then you had, you know, the coded characters. Yeah. Um, but it's it's real interesting because you didn't see yourself really anywhere. Yeah, that much. And um, so I didn't really know that homosexuality really existed mm-hmm. um, growing up. And I would go to the library and I would look for books because there's no internet. Mm-hmm. And all of the books that I could find in Dublin, Georgia, said, you know, this is a phase. This is something that will go away, you know. And so I just assumed at some point, I'll wake up <laughs> and I'll be gone and I'll be ready to get married. <laughs> and of course, that never happens. And so uh, the week after I graduated from high school, and I guess it was a transition point in my life, I was like, hey, this is never going to get <laughs> And I'm gay. And it was just like this, wow, I'm, I'm gay. <laughs> and it was, um, you know, I, I think that it's like grieving something that you've lost for some people coming out because you, you have this person <laughs> that you expect to be and that person is gone. And so it was. It was a very difficult time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, came through it. And yeah, did you feel like that the the grieving or the mourning that was for the the people around you or for you or I mean, it, it, I I relate some ways. Sure, yeah. It was for for me mm-hmm. because uh, it was really uh, well, all of the things that I thought would kind of come in my life mm-hmm. are all of this is not not gonna happen mm-hmm. you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just wake up one day and be gay mm-hmm. I'm not gonna <laughs> don't you go through an angry face uh, <laughs> I I don't know if I went through an angry phase if I did it was probably internalized her towards me because I mm-hmm. I was suicidal I was depressed uh, I did have those difficulties yeah. uh and uh, that lasted for a few years. Uh, and uh, I, I grew up very religious. So uh, there was the whole reckoning of that as well. Because what do you do uh, 
with with that, you either you have to resolve it somehow. Um, and so, um, in resolving that, I um, I sort of ended up moving out of the religion that I had grown up in, mm-hmm. uh, and now I'm kind of a secular Buddhist. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that did, and was that phase after you had come out, or through all after after I, yeah, yeah, that acceptance, yeah, that's lead to some, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's, I my view of things is that you don't choose who you desire. That I don't know where that comes from. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's genetic. It comes from somewhere. Who mm-hmm. knows? But you do choose, in my opinion, to be gay in that you choose to identify mm-hmm. so that you don't choose your biology, choose to identify with it. And we see that in so many people. We see so many people who don't choose to it. Yeah. And the problems that that can cause. Um, so I always say, and, and, you know, I feel like when I say I choose to be, that I'm empowered in that. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like we lose something when we say, oh, I don't choose to be gay. And and that doesn't mean that that I choose my biology. That yeah. doesn't mean I choose my desire. Yeah. But that means that I've chosen to identify with So mm-hmm. I've chosen my power. I've chosen, mm-hmm. I've chosen my path in life. Yeah. That I've not chosen to push this down. Yeah. And to pretend and to... So I, I really like that paradigm for her choosing to when i was coming out to myself that was part of it was there was one day where i said okay well i'll just be gay for 5 p.m on <laughs> and it was great and uh, for cocktails yeah yeah forget that yeah 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 uh, and then the next day came and I was like, well, I'm going to wake up gay and I'll just be gay for the whole day. And I went to the gym gay and I'm not like the type of gay that's like, oh, uh, except for one person. I went to the gym choosing that yeah. path yeah. and I was like, oh, I feel surprised. And then, and then I just kept choosing that path. And it just kept feeling so right. And then that was so moving. And then I did, maybe still, and in the angry part of the phase, I grew grew up in Texas. Yeah. And so that was its own whole journey. Yeah. And, and, you know, we talk about this all the time, that there's this, like, many years. I came out 34. Yeah. At 34. And so there's these 34 years of anger built up yeah i i, I do have anger issues are you angry but, it, but yeah it's, it's really interesting to have to process that because oh my gosh i have the most loving parents both of them it's just like this wall of love yeah my Con- parents have been yeah. and, but it's it's still there's uh i you know i still grew up in a republican texas household yeah. that 
became nothing against uh, Republicans as a mass. There, I'm not going to go there <laughs> because I'm still in my angry face. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but it it was in it small towns in the small town Texas too. So probably I was in a small town that was like between two other small towns, very similar. We had a stop sign, <laughs> dirt roads. Uh, the Dripping Springs did have a dairy. Yeah, her, her, the, 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 the big town with the stoplight. They had a dairy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they had one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it was, it was, it was definitely, or it still is processing that and processing yeah. feeling, you know, everybody, uh, I don't know, I'm sure if it is in arts, a lot of the, a lot of artists often feel behind um, because that's what capitalism does to artists. And there's a huge sense of feeling behind as a person came out at 34 or 35. I think you'll have to remember my age. We don't. was the one. Uh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. I think it was. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and that's angering too. Yeah. But also, oh my gosh, I would have it no other way. Yeah. I The path that I went down, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't want to like... You know, there's a, what would the one thing you'd go back and change? I'm like, butterfly effect. No. Yeah. 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 Well, well, that's a thing. yeah. Yeah. We do talk about that a lot of like, you know, thank goodness we have the journeys that we have. And I was talking on our other panel, serendipity highway is like a, a phrase that I love because you can't know, even in the most painful moments in my life, they have ultimately truly led to some of the most joyous. And, and yeah, I think just grappling with, yeah, you know, why are, society is has been structured you know what where does that come from and I think you know we're both very intellectual heady people and so we often want to find the why for everything um and often there is no full why um and also just speaking to what you were saying and what you were saying (laughs) I'm just surrounded by very awesome people um but a term that I love to use in my acting and generally in just creative flow is dropping in and I think that that's that resonates in what you were saying of the choosing of the dropping in. And we've spoken to this, too, of like, what does it mean to truly drop into oneself? And I don't think that journey ever ends. Hopefully not. Um, but I, I did write yeah. this down the other day, though, too. But like I so I'm like I said, I'm ha- I look happy. I'm still in my angry face. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote this down. So I was like, but when does like the percentage of I get me like a percentage that I can like feel and see because I still feel like sort of not having gotten myself yet and uh, I'm excited for that moment where I'm like I'm also still exploring my uh, gender identification as well and so I'm excited to find like a moment again I feel behind but but I hopefully can go no I'm not behind I'm just spawning on the hometown well you know you're always where you're supposed to be yeah Uh, love that I think, because you can't be anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> yes, Lord. Music sedictive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you could acquire. Yeah. There's, there's the whole idea of, like, cause and effect. I mean, you're where you are because of all of these things that have happened to break. Right. Here. Yes. Right. Yes. And they wouldn't have brought you anywhere else. Right. And they're taking you wherever you go from here. And whatever you do right here is going to determine 
just inches and that's all you got yeah and but inches and a thing just turns into <laughs> miles as you grow out yeah um, so it's yes it's it's very frustrating i think you know sometimes to realize how little control you have <laughs> but how much control you have right here yeah, yeah. i mean this is this is so much and yeah. i I I sometimes have a lot of regret of things that, you know, I could have done this or should have done this or, but you have no control over any of that. You know, you have no control over anything in the past or anything in the future. But when you look right here, there's so much that decides from this branching point mm -hmm. where to go. And if you're, I, I think the big thing with anger for me is if I'm in my anger, then I'm going wherever I go anger there's there's a little bit of lack of control yeah. sitting in anger uh -huh. i do think that anger often who said this who said anything <laughs> well you're saying it now so <laughs> it wasn't me originally um uh produces art i think a lot of trauma it, um we work from trauma i often write from trauma but i don't think that's a bad thing i think it's a beautiful thing because I think for all of us, to some degree, different aspects of the trauma we've experienced in life point us down the path mm -hmm. and and creates the representation that we need or creates a story that someone else goes, oh my God, me too, on a really deep subconscious often level. And I will say... Um, Jason Baldoni. Oh yeah, or Justin Baldoni. Justin. Yeah. Justin. Yeah. Not, not the Justin. Ava mentioned Justin who was in Vegas with us, but Justin Baldoni. Jane the Virgin it's great and wrote Man Enough and has really done a lot of exploration of like toxic masculinity and all around great person follow him <laughs> little did he know he was going to get a shout out from us but really 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 exploring all of that beautifully um um that yes what was art your, from trauma art from drama uh, oh well yeah just speaking uh to Maddie's writing um what I find really exciting and you know, will be showcased in the short tonight in addition to um, uh, uh, both of the plays that we've done readings of this past year with a group that we work with called Bespoke Plays that does workshop stage readings, is that they're innately, you know, channeling an aspect of Maddie's queer experience, whatever that may mean. And again, I, I really have come to love the the reclaiming the ownership of that term as this umbrella term that, you know, embraces the whole spectrum of, of experience um but yeah in in ladyface which is also a sci-fi it's a backstage of a theater in the future um not so distant future a little dystopian sort of thing there's um, ai and all that sort of fun stuff but uh so many of the meta there there are queer characters like there are relationships that are identifiably queer in the story but the themes of the piece are deeply just kind of a channeling of the experience. And I think that's what's really exciting and speaking to, again, what Trek can do is like it's both you can see the representation and be like, oh, yeah, I, I identify with that type of attraction or that type of gender expression or whatever it may be. But then you also can just go, oh, yeah, this theme of, you know, in what, what I'm trying to think of, like in Ladyface. I don't know. And there's also spoilers, but definitely robots in hiding sort of the vibe. And that, and I wrote it before the pandemic, but you yeah. need like, a, like essentially what's a vaccination card 
in order to identify yourself as like a clear robot or yeah or not a robot or not a robot and- yeah and just the sort of yeah when you are something that can be quote hidden uh how do you how you hide and, and what that hiding does to you and creates and yeah what and the conscious hiding and the unconscious hiding yeah that happens so it, it's fun that in a story where one of the characters has been in a relationship with a woman two women in a relationship also still has elements of of other aspects of herself to hide so it's you kind of get that fun balance of like just normalizing two women being together but also then still getting to deal with that theme of feeling like you're having to hide an aspect of yourself so i think that's a cool place where we're headed with you know genre storytelling is like the further nuance of that that's cool but i i just more speaking to that that we channel through our art and through our writing and um i think i often feel with characters and we were just speaking to my experience with laurel i think she also helped me come into my own and i often feel characters present themselves to me when when i need to work out something that they're working out yeah it's so interesting doing uh persona because when i started doing this as a character it's like well you're stepping into something else. So you're you're in a way you're leaving behind a lot of baggage and looking through different eyes. So there's a lot of confidence in it. There's a lot of you know it you're just you know, you you let go of your, your face. You know, you're yeah. Yeah, I get to interest. Would you yeah. ever say it's some deeper, more pure version of yourself not not that it's a lot this is just who i am at my core because there's all all these other things but yeah it's almost like step down it's, to yourself. it's very sort of jungian <laughs> type yeah 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 <laughs> absolutely it's your your um you're just pulling out i don't know you're it's hard to explain it's like you're just um I think that for me, in a way, Moxie is kind of my Yes. Because why I do this is because I make people smile <laughs> and I, I give people joy. And when they look at, you know, when I'm in my normal clothes, if somebody looks at me, they don't go, <laughs> uh, or they don't go, you know, I mean, yeah. if somebody doesn't like me, I immediately know. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not the kind of drag queen who's confrontational. I'm not like all up in yeah, yeah, face, which some drag queens are, which I don't have anything. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I'm just here to give people laughs and joy and love. And, yeah, and that, and uh, that's what Moxie is for me. So when I put this on, I mean that's there. Streaming that, and so it's just it's just interesting because you and part of what comes with that is you realize, hey, I can do this without, mm-hmm. you know, I can step into my own life and give whatever I want to give through the day. I don't have to, in Buddhism, the idea is that when you come into contact with something, that causes a rising of emotion. So if you come into contact with something, that's negative, it causes the rising of negative emotions and that we react to those negative things in negative ways. But we can choose to react in any way we want to. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think that what this does is it gives me that idea of, hey, you can choose to react in any way you want. It just kind of emphasizes so that when I come into contact with something negative and I feel the negative response come, I can say, there are other ways you could react to this as moxie. You could react to this as, as you feel right now, or you could, you could be a persona at any point because there are choices here. Yeah. So it, it creates this idea of, hey, you're not you. You are all of these personas that you have in life. Mm -hmm. And so at any point you could choose to put on a persona and they're all you. Yeah. yeah. Because the react, the reactivity is just a persona. It's not the real you. It's just reactivity. So yeah, it's the persona that, that you didn't choose. Yeah. Because you. Yeah. So there's a nicer you can choose. Yeah. Yeah, I got to do the Groundlings, which is this uh, sketch and improv company in Los Angeles. And one of the oh. things is you write these sketches and you come out on stage as these big characters with these wigs and stuff. And one of my favorites was this little... I would love to wear... Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> should try this sometime. I think I would like... Yeah. He looked great in makeup, too. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, Ethan was this little boy that I would play. That was, I think, kind of the, this, like, queer innocence that, you know, straight, I'm putting finger quotes up right now, Maddie, um, felt and couldn't figure out how to express. And so then I would just do these sketches as Ethan um, falling in his sweet, sweet little boy that just falls in love with a very tall girl. That's a turgeon. The first joke is that this actress, he was tall. Yeah, she yeah, yeah. was, and I had, you know, short shoes on. She had tall shoes on. Was leaning down in her locker, and we're ninth graders. And she stands up, and Ethan say like, "Oh, hi, Avery," and he looks up way too high, and um, and then feels really intense. It's it's really I I love so many. Luckily, there are a fair amount of uh Maddie sketches for Groundlings that were recorded, and that's one that I'm so glad it is because yeah, there's a a purity in the expression of Ethan and I do I mean it is funny because there is a whole bit and I still have this locket part of the thing is that it's like after the summer um they're it, they're back in high school and yeah she's had this gross for the girl and and but they you know clearly like each other Ethan's gotten kicked off the basketball team he, yeah like are you still playing basketball and he's like oh no I just uh or no what do you say that I'm, I'm not playing basketball this uh, year oh did you quit oh no this is just like the first year we could like not make the team yeah this <laughs> is very sweet it's just it's, it's the most endearing character and uh, at a certain point is that he had gone to on some vacation Niagara Falls and got this locket and then is like has to put it on her but then she has to get down and it's so, so anyway so I I asked you had the locket and I was like oh can I have it so now I have the locket that Ethan put on that on her but then put it on yeah yeah i was like oh do it like in the sketch um but i do yeah i think there's a real resonance in that piece because like you said you were channeling this aspect of yourself that not i had to be a boy to channel it yeah but yeah yeah and it's it's i really yeah again i i posted it on my instagram so if you follow me um you should you should check it out it's again there's a lot of really great sketches but i i do think that's part of why i love it and something that maddie brings into a lot of her comedy writing and also in the more dramatic leg lady face is definitely a drama we would say but hugely comedic 
and I luckily got to play the most obnoxious comedic character in it. Please. Yeah. <laughs> At some point, we might post the. We have a. We had a leak because people could buy streams so that it was accessible. And at some point, we might post it. But Mary plays this like. Um, she's she's the she's the theater um, star who's you know uh, on on and off stage the star and like talks a mile a minute and very theatrical. And Mary gets like an applause break after one of the. Jo- I love off stage jokes. So there's a really dramatic scene going on on stage. But Mary, as an actress, is warming up off stage, doing the most ridiculous actress warm ups. Like so the, my character's just like. Oh, and then at what point she starts singing some Madonna song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be dramatic. Yeah, and I think that that's you know a beautiful balance and and you know a huge thing that I love in Maddie's writing is that juxtaposition of of drama and comedy and the heart of it because that's you know again in this Ethan sketch and many of the other sketches there's a there's a real heart and I think that sometimes or uh, unfortunately I think oftentimes in comedy it's. It can become about punching down and again, making, you know, making fun of people in, in ways that I find not funny and cruel. Yeah, it's not helpful to any of us. And I think, yeah, yeah, you see that um, kind of across the board. So that's something that I think, you know, I, I, I really appreciate. And I, you know, think we see we see some of it, but that's something I hope we see more of in the world is I think. Well, it was funny. I think I remember that. You know, obviously, there are tons of conversation these days about like you can't be funny anymore because you can't make it. And then, and like Dan Levy was like, "Have you watched Scream? Like, we're we we're also really trying to be loving and funny." It does go to show you how comedy is hard. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. hard because it, it's so easy to punch down, and by punch down, we mean like if there's like, and this is the worst way to put it, but like a hierarchy of oppressors. Somebody at level two on the oppression ranks punching down to level three yeah. at someone they're already oppressing. It's like, no, that's, that's just so unhelpful. We want to punch up. So yeah, yeah, punch to the number one. Yeah. Whatever that means in different cultures and different societies, whatever that means, uh, we are living in this, you know, heteronormative patriarchy. So, so they're punching a little bit about those. But, but, uh, yeah, and being able to make fun of oneself, I think, is also a beautiful thing. Yeah. Without making fun of one's entire group. Well, you know, it's it's very interesting as a drag queen right now. Yeah. There's, um, you know, it's kind of a renaissance for drag queens, but it's also with more exposure, there's also more. Yeah. Um, more criticism uh, you know there's been some stuff recently about is drag uh woman face you know mm. oh wow <laughs> black face uh the criticism of drag queens are they you know uh, from the right mm-hmm. are uh, drag queens reading to children oh right you know? yeah and then from the left is it woman face is it anti-feminist uh and you know i i come from the 80s, you know, some camp, the campus, yeah. it, which I think is disappearing. Uh, and I think it's possible to have that aesthetic without punching down. Yeah, and absolutely. I think camp is seeing the ridiculousness of everything, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily making fun of everything. It's not yeah. necessarily yeah. punching down. Mm-hmm. Camp is saying, hey, we live in a ridiculous world. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> we live in sort of an absurdist yeah, of one. Absolutely. And I, I think that that we don't see as much camp as we used to, you know? And do you think that's true? Yeah, it's an interesting I mean, I think one could say, you know, because it is pointing out that absurdity and the world continues to be so absurd that it's like, oh my God, like that's actually it's just you turn on the TV or whatever. But yeah, it's an interesting question because that's, I mean, to me... I mean, we, yep. we live in a camp. Yes, certainly. We definitely just need to write a lot of things down. pure 80s camp that yeah. right, is yeah. based out. But I would say the there is a camp that is streaming right on through. Like, yeah. I think your character Lady Face was yeah. camp a lot of the time. Yeah. But it is in, in the, like... I don't know. I, I always think of like murder mysteries too. I don't know why, but they have a lot of camp in them a lot. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. I think that still does exist in, in some form. Yeah. And I think, yeah, to what you're saying too about the, the criticisms from both sides, which I think is always the dilemma is, you know, it's just everyone's like, can't we just think of that? But I think, you know, what I love and celebrate about drag is it, to me it is, yeah, it's a reflection. It's a, it's an art form that makes us look at these archetypes. And again, I think it's, it's clear to me that we, you know, gravitate towards archetypes. And and how I felt with Laurel in a different way is that is literal mask, although technically it's a prosthetic, not a mask. James McKinnon would want me to make that clear to everyone. It's not a mask. We He's like, we spend too much time for it to be called a mask. <laughs> it's like, okay. But, uh, but the, you know, the allowance of self, like you said, the, all these different personas, and that's something that I think that's the art form that I, you know, see in drag. And it's interesting to see. I'm not as well versed. I haven't watched, you know, all the shows and all this sort of stuff. But I know that I think at its purest and most exciting, that is what we see is it's 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 a reflection on the way our society has portrayed gender. And I think, you know, that's something I'm very fascinated with overall. Um, uh because it's i talk about too like i really love friends the tv show which is it drenched in gender archetype right now something yeah 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 we got kylo ren friends feminism yeah i've hidden all the dark yeah 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 animals um but i think part of what i find interesting in that in is looking it it's so drenched in it that it makes us look at our expectations of gender and actually all of the characters contradict they 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 don't fit the norm that's you know that's part of the humor and i think it it succeeds in moments and it definitely fails certainly by our own standards now but that's the nature of comedy and art and i think comedy is so interesting like what we were saying before because it's it has to be so kind of present in the time and there are jokes that last and there are jokes that don't but back to the point of like yeah the performance and the the embodiment of what is femininity what is masculinity what how do we challenge that and i think drag drag is an integral part of that conversation um because you know and i i know now too it's like we talk about this a lot like every day it feels like there are new there's new vocabulary in expressing one's queerness and it can be overwhelming it's also wonderful and i think everyone's finding what resonates with them. Uh, but as a perfectionist, as a good student, I think that that was part of just tying way back to like the coming out, why it took me a while to really feel like I found a term or a thing that worked for me because 
I wanted to get the exact right thing. And I'm much more accepting now of like, okay, I know I feel certain ways. I might not know the terms for it, but I feel good in this way. And I just want to feel more dropped into myself, however that exists. One one thing that I I feel that I'm concerned about with with the state of things today is that uh, there's always a danger of attacking our friends rather than attacking our enemies that we sem- seem to spend a lot of time in this infinite diversity mm-hmm. of because there are so many definitions yes of rather than letting that diversity flower of saying well this is the way it is yeah this is not the way it is yes so it's like this is the way i see it and you see it differently and those are both okay yeah let's not attack each other because there are much bigger things out there that are attacked yeah it's ironically very binary like, I think, no, I'm right and you're wrong. I think that general uh, premise is not helpful. Yeah. yeah. I thought this made me think of, too, again, if anybody's playing Mary Bingo, they're <laughs> because Mary has a adaptation of Othello. Yeah, that that's we, one of the things that I wanted to mention. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. Well, we got it. And I'm, I, yeah. See the green eyes monster here yeah. with the microphone. Um, yeah, so in... Mary's adaptation of Othello, and you, you should probably just take. You get you know, so Okay, hey, well, well, talk me up, honey. Talk me up. <laughs> she has this wonderful AR augmented reality project called Gem, and it's an app that you can find in the App Store, and it is a three minute and thirty second rock opera moment with Iago, who is the villain, the villain of Othello, uh, as a modern day woman or a, a slightly futuristic dystopian woman. And what I love, and I'm just going to skip to the end, yep. spoiler alerts, if you haven't seen the great picture of Othello, um, it's a play, but it's a <laughs> picture, Mr. Shakespeare. Mary has an adaptation where they where she does color conscious and gender conscious um, casting with it. And in the end, everybody's dead for <laughs> going off to be tortured except for the straight white man. Yeah. Um, two straight white men, yeah. perhaps. And that's what you're just talking about, Moxie, which is everybody... Just attacks each other. Yeah. And then the two on the top just kind of hang out yeah. for us all to die. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because, yeah, this adaptation that I wrote, initially I'd done this um, all-female version where I played Iago, and they did it like the inverse of Shakespeare's day where all the women were dressed, you know, whatever, traditionally. And I was really fascinated by Iago as a character, obviously, you know, a notorious villain in Shakespeare. Um, but beyond just finding out how this villain's mind worked, I was so drawn into the fact that as a woman, I had to find honesty. They keep calling him Honest Iago, and that's the whole irony is that they call him Honest Iago, but he's manipulating everybody. Um, and I couldn't understand why they didn't see that he was being manipulative. And in playing the role, I found that he was much grittier and kind of a Jack Sparrow archetype of like, you know... Just, you, you, you know, you shouldn't trust him, but you do because he's straightforward, shoots from the hip. And as a woman, I thought I needed to be pure like Desdemona. So many of these roles. And on our panel earlier, I was speaking to in school. I was very lucky that my teachers often put me in the kind of more truth teller, either male Shakespeare roles, a lot of mothers and older women who often in plays are the truth tellers um, and just don't have the same inhibitions as a young ingenue might. Um, and that's a whole other conversation. But uh, with this Iago, I came to this revelation 
And that inspired me to then write this color and gender conscious casting um, a version of the play where, yes, that we're looking at not just because often the play is like you have a black man and then a whole white cast and we look at racism in that way. But in this modern world, reflecting on the fact that there all are all of these degrees of oppression that we might define like, well, I know I've got it worse than you and da da da. So that's what I wanted to reflect on. I don't have an answer, but I think that's what art does is it asks the question. And so for me, by looking at Desdemona perhaps as an Asian woman and how her expectation of being pure and innocent is, you know, a, you know, is is a struggle for her and looking at Iago as a gay woman and her expectation of Othello, a black man who is a higher rank, then promotes this cis white straight male who's just out of school over her after she's worked super hard. So there's all these cool resonances that can happen that actually I think is what Shakespeare was trying to say. I mean, I think, you know, it's my adaptation and I still get my spin on it. But I think that, you know, that's a really exciting way that we can use art to like make us really reflect on these things. And again, more about asking the question than having the answer, because I think we are in this time of looking. And what we did, just to tie into what Maddie said, what we realized, we do this adaptation, we do all this different casting, he'll be this, you know, ethnicity and, and this, you know, oriented and all this stuff. And then we realized from doing all of that, you know, everyone, most people die in a Shakespeare tragedy. And that literally Cassio and Lodovico, who we cast as the two white men were go, oh, oh, they're the only two that survived this play. <laughs> and it was really interesting that it was like, oh, I guess that is a comment as well. So I think that, yeah, that's, again, pulling themes from this whole conversation. I think that, like, I hope that track art, you know, these are ways in which we can ask the questions. Because sometimes just being conscious of the event happening or the question present can help move us towards this unnameable solution. Yeah. Just that bringing it to the front prefrontal cortex is helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies, I think we have think have over we have <laughs> we shot our time actually. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all. About the common Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Starbase Indie Podcast. For more information about our organization and our upcoming events, check us out at starbaseindie.org. See you on the Starbase.